Do you like the north of England? Would you like to spend a couple of days doing nothing but playing board games, eating great food, in the presence of fantastic people, some well-known faces from board game media, and potentially Matthew Jude smelling great? Then, come to Aircon between the 13th to 15th of March next year. Tickets and more information are available on their website. That's aircon.co.uk and also in the links in the show notes. And now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for October. Um, it's, you know, it's like you spend the entire day, you're out and about, you really don't have time to grab yourself a snack. Because if you grab yourself a snack, you're going to grab yourself a bar of chocolate and then... And then that'll fill you up, but at the same time you're going to feel bad about the fact that you're just eating junk yet again and you're going to have to stuff that chocolate bar wrapper down the side of the the car pocket where you keep the rest of the chocolate car wrapper so you decide you're going to have to stop. But you're not just going to stop at any place, you're going to stop at a fabulous all-you-can-eat restaurant. And not just any restaurant, a restaurant that's potentially got spillages, a restaurant that has got shrimp that could be fabulous or dangerous. This is Scofton. It's the all-you-can-eat restaurant buffet. And I'm speaking to Gavin Vance from the Vimusco, and he's going to tell us all about it. So welcome to the show, Gavin. Thank you for having me, Richard. I appreciate it. No, it's um, I'm uh, I'm delighted you are here because we've been kind of, um, we've been kind of talking on and off for a little while because as you might guess, I am, I'm slightly far away from Gavin in the, the terms that Gavin is in Australia, um, and I am in you know, Scotland, which means we're pretty much on the other side of the world. So that means there's a lot of wire, a lot of internet and a lot of fingers crossed going on to make sure that this thing kind of stays together and doesn't fall apart. But we'll just have to see how we get on, won't we, sir? That is true. And might I add, uh, it's also a lot of very inconvenient time zone incompatibility. So it has <laughs> taken a while to pull this together. And uh, I'm sitting yes. here enjoying my Sunday morning, or my Saturday morning rather, while you uh, enjoy your Friday evening. It's just completely messed up. How is tomorrow so far? Is it okay? <laughs> it's quite good. It's sunny where I am. Yes. Oh. I thought it would always be sunny. Uh, no. You are. No. <laughs> I, live, I live in Melbourne. It, it gets very rainy and very grey sometimes. All right. All right. Cool. Um, let's talk. I mean, as normal, we, we obviously we need to say hello to everybody who's out there. So hello to everybody who's out there. Thank you for joining us. The reason that we do this is quite simply because there are still not enough podcasts out there about tabletop and board games. Um, I'm still on a hunt. Still can't find any, um, except for a couple of wonderful people out there um, who you know who you are. Um, but the other reason that we do this is because... Um, 
sometimes you come across a game that's got a certain type of look and feel and quirkiness and kind of an interesting kind of take on something. Um, and that's very much kind of scoffing. And um, I wanted to kind of pick Gavin's brains just to find out a little bit kind of more about it, where his inspiration came from, where his ideas and everything like that. Um, I mean, I guess the most important question was, do you remember as a small child the first time that you went to maybe a buffet restaurant? Oh, um, yeah, I probably do, actually. Um, I, I, I grew up in a city called Perth on the other side of Australia, and there used to be this mm-hmm. kind of weird Scandinavian buffet called Miss Maud's. And there was a couple of them around town. And I think that might have been my first introduction to something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was, yeah, I suppose my abiding memories of that are the the mounds of seafood that get piled up on beds of ice and resting on beds of iceberg lettuce and things like that. Yeah, I I think that would probably be one of my first... (laughs) experiences with an all-you-can-eat restaurant <laughs> and have you um i mean is, is that become you know one, one of your firm favorites i mean are you still like a buffet, like a buffet type, type man, man. Uh, i mean would you rather spend an entire sunday kind of you know um eating out wherever you can or you know have things changed have you refined your tastes in terms of what you do when you do like to go out for a meal I think my tastes have definitely refined. I think I'm happier to uh, spend a little bit more money usually and, you know, get something pretty decent. The I, I did recently, well, it's going back to the beginning of the year, but I was on holiday in New Zealand and I was in a place called Rotorua, which is that place with all of the uh, geothermal activity. Um, very interesting town. Oh, yeah. But I discovered in that town an all-you-can-eat restaurant called Valentine's. And I looked in the window and mm-hmm. it was Scofton come to life. Um, they had the claw machine. <laughs> they had they had everything. And I absolutely had to go and eat there. So that was my last all-you-can-eat experience at, at a place called Valentine's. In New Zealand, what was it like? Did it kind of live up to your? Did it live up to your game then? Were you kind of like going, "Oh, I've got this"? Did it actually maybe inspire you to well, make some mechanical changes to Scofton? Uh, not quite, not quite, but it did uh, reaffirm <laughs> my continued avoidance of establishments like Scofton <laughs> in the real world. Um, suffice to say, it was pretty odd, you know, sort of. Butter chicken served with pizza, <laughs> so, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I think the general rule of thumb is if the restaurant bill is going to be less than how much it costs to park at the place, then you're probably better kind of and safer kind of going somewhere, kind of going somewhere else. That's true. That's true. I must say though, Valentine's was, um, you know, it wasn't cheap. It wasn't uh, four ninety five the way uh, Scofton purports no. to be. No, it was a little more than that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, it's been a long time. I think the last time I went to an all and a kind of an all-eat buffet, 
um, I think it was kind of like um, there was a there was used to be a big huge place, um, quite a distance as well from me. That was like a Chinese meal kind of buffet, and you could, it had pretty much everything, everything and anything, kind of sesame covered various items, you know, things on skewers, you know, tubs full of various sauces that some of them were mild and lovely, and the other ones kind of, you know. Um, Blew the blew the hair out of your ears and your nose, kind of thing, and um, you know, and it was always a case of I'm potentially running the kind of the food poisoning train here, but the stuff was incredibly, incredibly Moorish because everything was battered. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it was these massive canisters of like kind of egg, you know, egg fried rice and stuff like that, and um, everybody so far is going. Where's the board game chat? I didn't realise I was listening to We're Not Chefs kind of thing. Um, but in terms of you, I mean, obviously you growing up in Australia, what's the access to the hobby like? I mean, is it was it a different kind of journey? I mean, do you have as much exposure to kind of all of the games that, you know, folks who talk about Monopoly and Catan and... Carcassonne and stuff like that. I mean, I take it you still see those kind of games, but was it? I mean, is there such a big kind of board game, um, kind of board game hobby? Yeah, where you are is yeah. what uh, you see normally, normally what you see other places. Yeah, well, I suppose you know we're all very globally connected, and we all get to see what each other mm-hmm. like and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, I suppose um, the first thing along that point is board games in Australia are very expensive. Um, they're very expensive yeah. to have shipped here, and we generally mm. tend to pay a little more for things. Um, we also don't balk at higher shipping prices, so um, the average Australian is used to paying quite a lot of money to have things shipped around. Uh, in terms mm. of the hobby, obviously, uh, I grew up in the 80s, grew up with, yeah, all the classics, Monopoly, Connect Four, um, Scrabble, all of that stuff. Didn't really think too much Mm -hmm. about board games as a teenager um sort of mid 2000s or so um got introduced to uh Catan which obviously is one of the classic Mm -hmm. ways to go and um yeah board games then became you know a, a fixture in our kind of social life and um Eventually, uh, Marcus, the other half of Vamusco, and I, we we had an yeah. idea to start designing a game around about 2007. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's been doing wow. it for a little while. Yeah, with that's because uh, I because I've still got my stupid head on when somebody says, you know, you know, 1990. If they say to me that was like almost 30 years ago, I'm like, shut up. <laughs> you know, yeah. 1970 was 30 years ago. You know, 1990 was like last week kind of thing. So when somebody says to me the 80s, I'm like, yeah, I remember the 80s. I grew up in the 80s kind of thing. Um, I mean, were you when you were growing up in the 80s, one of the things that happened round about, it must have been about um, the early kind of 80s, you know, 86, 87, 88, we started to get your, your Australian kind of... Uh, soaps coming over huh, yes. so everybody went daft over here for neighbours 
and then closely followed by that, there was like Home and Away well, as well. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Were, you, were you aware of the time of how people in the UK were like pretty much skipping school in order to go and watch kind of like Kylie Minogue <laughs> and Jason Donovan and everybody like that kind of live out life in Ramsey Street kind of thing? Yeah, I um, oh, well, I had no idea it was so uh, at epidemic levels, but yeah, uh, I think you know later on we in Australia were quite well aware that uh, shows like Neighbours had made quite a splash in the UK. So yeah, there was always that general awareness that uh, a lot of people yeah. in the UK saw yeah. Australia through the prism of Ramsey Street. <laughs> It was either that or there was there was also there was another show as Prisoner of Cell Block H. Yeah, yeah, which, which was another one. Yeah, Prisoner was a classic. Yeah, which I think, which was a kind of like your late at night kind of. You knew that you knew you'd reach kind of rock bottom in terms of the choice on the telly, where you decided to flick through to Prisoner Cell Block H, and you kept it on the channel and kind of kept watching. <laughs> and there was a point I think where I ended up kind of watching it on a kind of a regular basis and starting to know the characters and starting to get invested in the characters. And then I knew I had to walk away. <laughs> right. It wasn't a good time. Uh, well, Gavin, uh, I, you know. I yeah, look, uh, Prisoner is considered an absolute classic of Australian TV. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a good choice. Yeah. <laughs> but okay. in- incidentally, okay. as incidentally, as far as Neighbours is concerned, it's, you know, it was filmed in the city where I live. You can get little bus tours that take you down to Ramsey Street oh, and all that sort of stuff. Yes. So it's all there waiting for you should you decide to visit. <laughs> I I wasn't I, I, I was gonna say well I wasn't a big into it, but I was like because at the time it came on, it was basically around about the time after everybody had their evening meal. So it used to be the case you used to it used to come on like about half past five. So you get home from school your, you know, your mum or your dad would put your, your dinner on and then, you know, you'd make sure everything was finished for like 25 to 6 because that's when it came on and it was just absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. It was such a kind of like, kind of like a tour de force and it's always kind of interesting seeing you grow up in the 80s if you're like just going, yeah, well, it's just this crap that was on the telly because <laughs> for some reason everybody else kind of loves it, everywhere else. Um, in terms of, you mentioned you and Marcus yeah. kind of forging to... Go together. So, did you? How did you guys kind of meet? Then, were you have you been friends for a while, or did you meet like kind of college, university um, type of thing? Or yeah, well, look, um, we would have met in the early two thousands, so we would have been in our early twenties, mm-hmm. um, mm. and yeah, just met through you know social social scenes. I think um, our partners and stuff. So we. Uh, you know, we became friends, didn't think about board games for a long time. That that all came a bit later. So. Were you both kind of like into board games and then one of you confessed to the other that you like board games and then you realised you both like board games and then it kind of went from there? Basically. Yeah, well, it was definitely Marcus. I remember I remember playing Settlers of Catan at Marcus's house um, and... Yeah. and Seeing for you know, seeing that other side of of board games probably for the first time, um, mm-hmm. getting quite into it or being quite intrigued by it, um, and then shortly after, of course, I bought the uh, 
the next cliche in the journey towards board games, which was Carcassonne. So, um, you know, course, we, yeah. we, we got into that for a little while. Um, and yeah, that's, you know, it, it's a pretty standard, <laughs> standard couple of first sort of games to be introduced to it all, but um, it works. I mean, with you saying that was, you know, it can be quite expensive to have, kind of get games kind of in, do you have, do you have a reasonable size collection yourself? Or are you kind of generally aware of kind of, have you got quite a curated kind of collection? Um, I myself don't have a large board game collection. Um, I probably don't have the space mm. for it. I probably don't have the desire to own lots of games. Mm. Um, we tend to, you know, gravitate around board game nights or, you know, we have a social circle of various different people who own various different games. So it's it's maybe a little yeah. more collectivised. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. lots, you know, if you go to conventions, there's always a games library and that's the time you can try out games you don't own. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I tend to, I mean, I'm not... I'm not obsessed with collecting games or, you know, displaying games or anything like that. We just, we have a few games in the cupboard. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's probably more of a shelf of shame than a games cupboard because there's a few (laughs) unplayed items there. Um, you know, having said that, I don't want to obsess over things. Occasionally I will see something shiny and new in a shop and think, oh, Mm -hmm. I I might need to have that. And I, I will put it in the cupboard and then. Uh, look at it from time to time if I can't get it played. So, which I think everyone does. What's the game? <laughs> I, you know, I uh, think everybody's guilty of that. I mean, I'm, I'm currently the microphone is um, resting on a copy of um, Through the Ages. Oh yes, and um, I mean the number of times I've seen Paul Grogan introduce the first 10 minutes of his how to play video on through the ages <laughs> yes you know and, um, and you haven't been able to it's absolutely ridiculous i it's quite you know i think it's one of these games that's going to take like an afternoon with me and a couple of cups of coffee and just sitting down and having some kind of me time because i know you can play it kind of single player which oh, is yeah. kind of attractive and i think it's one of these things i need I think it's one of these things I don't think you could sit down with somebody opposite you and learn to play the two player game. I think you'd need to bring it to the table and actually have some knowledge and say, right, you need to do this and then I need to do this and then I need to do that kind of thing. Otherwise it's lost. What about um what about yourself? What's kind of currently sitting on the the shelf of shame that you'd like to kind of get to the table? Um, well, I'd probably have to say I, I um, bought Feudum when it was uh, just finishing up its Kickstarter run. So that's going back a little while and it was duly delivered to mm-hmm. me and I opened it up and had a great look at everything <laughs> and then put the lid back on and <laughs> set it aside and I would love to uh, get it happening, get it to the table, but I just have found it mm-hmm. quite intimidating. So um, I will right. definitely have to rectify that. Um, it's probably more a case of really not delving into it. I mean, I think I, I looked up a, a a setup video and that itself was about 17 minutes long. So I kind of just thought, oh, this is something for a really, really rainy day. So I, I will have to rectify that. What's going to put... 
What's kind of putting you off? Kind of getting it to the table? Then? Um, oh, look, it's it's probably just, you know, it's kind of tucked away and I just kind of overlook it. Hmm. Um, it's it's probably, <laughs> yeah, a little bit of laziness, a little bit of intimidation. Um, I'm, I'm not, yeah. I'm definitely not described as any kind of rules lawyer or anything like that. So um, mm-hmm. I... I often find it a bit of a challenge to get a, you know, more complicated game out and really, really go through things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, look, it's it's something I will have to do at some point. Um, it's certainly something I can improve upon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in terms of, like, Kickstarter in general, are you then very, very picky about what you would consider back and because of like the potential shipping costs and stuff like that as well because i know that you guys always seem to get kind of mightily stung mm-hmm, <laughs> on terms yeah. of the shipping costs i mean everybody else is like it's like 15 dollars, 15 dollars australia and new zealand 175 dollars <laughs> and it's a tiny and it's a tiny like box and you seem to be subsidizing shipping for kind of like everybody else so in that in turn does that kind of give you pause is it one of the deciding factors to say, well, actually, how much, how much of the percentage of the game price am I going to have to pay for the shipping here? Yeah, there's a real psychology around that because I think in Australia, I mean, people use the internet to buy things all the time. It's not just board games; it's all kinds of things. And Australians will not worry too much. I mean, it's. It's not great, but the if the shipping costs the same amount as the item you're buying, uh, mm-hmm. people will generally you know, they'll just kind of accept it. You know, it's 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 not ideal, but we do yeah. understand it, and it yeah. is yeah. what it is. You know, we're not a we're a population of twenty five million, so we're not a massive market. Um, we're far away. We're not really a central distribution hub for anything. So. Uh, I think there's that psychology um, where, you know, if a board game costs $20 and it's going to cost $20 to have it shipped, you just kind of, you you do it. Um, translate that to somewhere like America and it just doesn't go down well. So um, yeah. We're, yeah. we're very, very conscious of that uh, when, you know, attempting to design our own Kickstarter campaign and, or who, you know, what's... I think you have to treat the shipping very delicately because nobody really, the shipping costs that you see on Kickstarters are never the actual shipping costs. So, you know, it's, you know, you see some Kickstarters with, you know, $6 worldwide shipping or something like that. That's not how much it costs. It's it's phenomenally more than that. That's not happening. Yeah. So, so you've, you've got to work out, you know, who, what's been subsidized, what's not. How much can you reasonably ask, um, you know, people in America to pay for shipping, knowing that at a certain point they're just going to walk away? Um, it's all, it's all a bit delicate in that regard. But as far as I'm concerned, when I see something on Kickstarter, if I want it, you just, you've just got to pay the shipping. It's part of the deal. Yeah, I mean, I know that. Um, I mean, I do a lot of work with like the marketplaces like Amazon and eBay, uh-huh. and I know for a long time. Amazon just refused to go and kind of set up anything in Australia because they rely on having internal shipping being like spot on that they can like make an awful lot of money out of the shipping cost and to ship stuff around Australia. I know that somebody said to me that it was 
in some cases it was cheaper to ch- to ship something from the UK to certain parts of Australia than it was to ship in Australia from one part of Australia to the other just because of the route they had to take it ended up kind of costing a small fortune. So I know that eBay Australia seems to be a thing and exist. Mm-hmm, yes. I know that Amazon Australia yeah, is something that's still very, very much finding its feet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Amazon um, in the last year or two had a bit of a hiccup with our um, yeah. rather foolish federal government insisting that they start to collect tax on behalf of the Australian government. So Amazon, yeah. Amazon pulled out for a little while and then they came back as Amazon mm-hmm. Australia. Um, so they are there, um, but yeah, they've had a couple of hurdles and, um, it's probably not as it's so ingrained in the, I mean, from what I hear of our uh, friends in the U S you know, Amazon is just, it's like the grocery store. It's like, oh yeah, just pick the, pick it up from Amazon yeah, and, yeah. It, and it arrives <laughs> within yeah. hours. Um, whereas here, yeah, it, it's not quite so ingrained yet. It's, it's more of a. You, mm-hmm. you get on it to buy something really special, yeah. What um, what made you decide then to sit down with Marcus and kind of put a game together? I mean, you said it was like 2007, ah, so I mean, it was yes. over 10 years ago now. Well, so what, I, what was the kind of, I mean, what, what was the reason <laughs> behind that? Okay, so this uh, this story predates Scofton. Um, around about 2007, I I said to Marcus one day that there should be a game about beavers and that the game should be called Damn Beavers. And uh, we decided (laughs) that we had to make this game. So um, we started cutting out bits of paper and, you know, we got crafty Mm -hmm. and we decided to make this game about beavers and we had no idea what we were doing. Um, But we created a tile-laying, map-building game about beaver colonies where uh, you are attempting to become the strongest beaver colony um, by foraging for resources in the, well, I guess it's the wilds of Alaska or Canada. And basically you um, you build up your beaver colony and um, the years and seasons go by and you get little baby beavers and stuff like that. So we created that game. It mm-hmm. didn't have an ending for about four or five years. Um, oh, right. okay. so it just, it, it just kind of floundered. We didn't, you know, real life yeah. got in the way we had other things to do. So, um, but yeah. then, uh, around about 2015, we revisited it. We realized how popular board games had become and we, you know, we, we, we wanted to see it published, basically. So we we embarked on a real mission to mm-hmm. try and uh, gain the interest of a publisher for the game Dan Beavers, and that did not work. So we uh, <laughs> we had to rethink everything. So then it became the notion of well, we will need to publish it ourselves, and we will need to do that through Kickstarter, and we will need to learn how to do all of that. So. Rather than doing it with Dan Beavers, which is our very special uh, baby in a sense, we decided to create a simpler game, uh, something more easy to you know put together and manufacture and sort of all the rest of it. And that game eventually 
was Scofton. That's how Scofton came about. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a couple of years ago. So that's been a, about a two-year development process. And in the meantime, uh, you know, Dan Beavers ultimately is kind of being shelved. Um, we are concentrating on Scofton and... Yeah, it's it's become it's become its own game. So it's it's become its own thing in its own right, and it has a quite a few fans around the place who are looking forward to it being published. Um, so it, it had a yeah. it had a run on Kickstarter last year. It was ultimately unsuccessful. We um, had a lot of lessons learned, and we have applied them to the new campaign. So, yeah, so hopefully we have our old old uh, Kickstarter fans coming out of the woodwork and getting on board along with some new ones. I mean, what? where's the aid? Where did the inspiration come? Uh, for Scofton. Ah, right. Um, th- this is the comes down to sort of how Marcus and I kind of work together. I often have silly ideas for games uh he's a little bit more about the the maths and kind of mechanics and putting things together and together we collaborate to kind of make these things come alive so scofton was i I think it was just another case of an idea a couple of years ago i thought you know Mm -hmm. a, a worker placement game in a buffet restaurant makes a lot of sense it's you've got all these different places to go you've got all these different tasks um and yeah the the spark of the idea came i knew immediately that it would be called scofton as in scoff town and the game really started kind of writing itself came together quite quickly had a lot of different uh, you know the early iterations uh, would have run for about 3 hours or so so we we immediately needed to cut a lot of time off the game. Um, initially, you had stuff like you had a hand of cards and you had money in your hand and, you know, all this yeah, yeah. extra stuff that ultimately through the development process just needed to go and just needed to be simplified. So, yeah, there was, mm-hmm. there was a real process of rapidly trying to get the game pared down so it could be under an hour and, uh, yeah, that it was just more uh, instantly able to be picked up basically by by people who wanted to play it was the um was the art style was that a conscious decision to go for something which um the style that you went for because it reminds me of kind of 1990s kind of cartoon type stuff and i'm not talking about kind of like kids cartoons I'm talking about the kind of the the kind of the stuff you would see maybe in a Beavis and Butthead kind of backdrop that kind of, you know that kind of thing, um, you know because the, the one of the things that's striking about it and I, I they kind of tell everybody to have a look you know on social media or whatever with you know the pictures of the game themselves it's one it's a very you get it straight away. I mean, one of the things when you lay that board on the table is you get it straight away. It's not like a sci—it's not like a sci-fi theme. It doesn't need to be cleverer or more artistic or more inventive than what it already is. If you put that in front of anybody at all, people are going to look at that and go, "That's a buffet." You know, there's not—you know—and and was that? 
you know, I mean, was that a kind of a conscious decision not to kind of go overboard with the art? Because I see that an awful lot. People are bringing in graphics and vectors and shading and you know stuff like that. And and, and there's a ve- there's a lovely um, <clears throat> kind of charming purity to the art that itself is in Scofton as well. It's very very simplistic. Not not that it's it looks cheap. It just really, really fits the theme. It oh, really, really fits kind of what you were yeah, aiming for. Yeah, you know? R- Richard, you can say it looks cheap because it is cheap. <laughs> um, so th- there is there is a story behind all of that as well. So yes, we acknowledge that there is a naivete behind the art of Scofton, and that came about through several reasons um so when we started we you know obviously we started with a piece of cardboard torn from the side of the box and we created a quick prototype in pencil uh that quickly became something a little more solid um all through this process marcus was doing most of the art he used to sort of write and draw cartoons in his college days um he hasn't done that for a long time and he was certainly no uh user of photoshop or graphical programs or anything like that so um he created a bunch of drawings for these prototypes uh they gradually got better and the prototype became quite nice and quite usable and uh we really were wondering how to move forward with it when uh my wife nan was having a look at it one day and said to us this Mm -hmm. this should be the game you guys should just do it like this and we yes. um, we first we laughed her out of the room, and then once we'd calmed mm-hmm. down a little bit, we kind of thought, you know, maybe that's not such a bad idea. Maybe we should go ahead like this. Um, it would be risky and probably quite difficult, but you know, it might actually work. And so that is why, yeah, the art of Scofton is the way it is. It's basically the a two or a one to two year process of somebody, you know, working out how to use Photoshop with guidance. Um, we brought in a young friend of ours, a guy we met through the gaming scene called Jonathan Kalea, who mm-hmm. is acting as the art director. So some of the vision for Scofton, like the way the restaurant floor looks and all of that has directly come from yeah. Jonathan's application of his uh, skill set to things. So, you know, it's been a collaborative effort in that regard. Um, Having said all that, now when we launched last year, it had an alternate cover, which was my cover concept, which was a picture of the restaurant with a, you know, police car out the front with its wheels stolen and it was, you know, really shabby. Um, And so that piece of art didn't quite seem to connect with the intended audience through the last Kickstarter. So that was the one thing that we really have changed is that it Mm -hmm. has a brand new cover uh, done by Len Peralta in Cleveland. He has done some of the Munchkin stuff. He also has a great uh, channel on YouTube about drawing as fast as he can. So he's he's a a rapid illustrator. He does things really quickly. Uh, And his style suited exactly what we were after. It was, you know well executed with still giving you the shabbiness of the restaurant that is Scofton. So um, 
yeah, that was sort of the the journey that the art has taken, and uh, yeah, that was. It's we accept that it's divisive. Some people love it. Some people are not so keen on it. So that's just one of those things we have to accept. I, I don't think it would have worked if you'd gone for something that looked realistic. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's, Do you know what it I mean? does not lend Do you know itself I mean? I to that. Th- yeah. I just, I just don't, I just don't think it it would have worked as it people, because you would had to make it really, really ultra realistic, and then it would have taken it would have taken it down kind of like a serious track. And I think when you're coupled in with the rest of the art, because I guess we should maybe talk about. I mean, I've, I've, um, I've played kind of, um, I've played a couple of games of of Scofton now, and, um. The, the the kind of the art once you play it you kind of get the reason why the art has been the way that it is um because there's extra parts to it basically the i i mean the idea behind it is you are usually you're basically it's almost like a set collection kind of game you're using worker placement in order to you know to in order to collect the right kind of food which will then allow you to fill up certain parts of your tummy or your stomach which you can tie into the kind of the menu of the day in order to score certain amounts of points and, and shut off that certain part of your stomach and score it. And then you've got a separate little kind of dessert stomach, which I found absolutely hilarious when I first saw it because I was like, yeah, that's definitely me. I've got, always got enough time to eat. You know, here I am chomping down in some pork belly. And then afterwards it's like, oh, I feel really full. And it's like, but I can definitely go ahead and I can definitely have some of this lovely caramel popcorn that I've left on the side for myself as well. So that kind of got like a that got like a definite kind of hee-haw from me when I was kind of like playing through it. Um, but it's very um, it's quite it's quite simple in terms of the mechanics, but there's quite a bit of strategy to it. I mean. When you're doing something where it's kind of fairly simple, I mean, you basically you're saying, right, okay, you're taking your what you could be, what you would normally say your workers, but in the case it'd be a member of the family from like the table, you're placing them at a point in the buffet, and then based on you've got little tiles which have various different food on them, and you take that back to your, you know, you take that back to your table, um, and then you eat it, and then it goes in your stomach, um. But was, did you, you mentioned obviously before that you had money and stuff like that. Did you kind of strip it back as much as possible to make it flow as quickly as possible as well? Yeah, absolutely. That was part of the process. So the f- the first few iterations of Scofton, as I said, would go for two to three hours. It was just, it was way too long for the depth of the game. We, we really wanted to create something that was going to play in an hour or under. Um, a game that is enjoyable for adults on games night but can also be played by you know kids around 10 years old with a bit of guidance so that was sort of part of it as well like a bit of a family game that is still fun to bring out with your uh, adult friends on a Saturday night or something Um, and yeah that you know there there was just initially there, there were so many ideas um, because you know the, the very notion of an all-you-can-eat restaurant. There's a whole bunch of things that just are immediately obvious. I mean, the 
Um, the poison prawn was obvious. That was there right from the beginning. The claw machine was there right from the beginning. Um, the claw, the claw machine was brilliant. brilliant. Yeah, so it had to have a claw <laughs> machine. Claw. It had to have the potential for, for leaving you um, very, very, very sick. Um, yes. and, and the, there was a lot of fine tuning that, that went on. And yes, yeah, so at one point we had all of these cards that that was the lost and found was a deck, a deck of cards that you could take somewhere into your hand and there was money in there. So we, we initially were, you know, you could buy drinks. Um, and then we thought, well, hang on, you know, that doesn't really make sense. It clogs up the game. You've you know the the deal with an all you can eat restaurant is you pay one price you walk in the door and you know it's it's yeah, all yours yeah. so the idea of having money in the game very quickly fell by the wayside we we need to get rid of that and the deck of cards that could be taken into your hand became the lost and found which obviously is the four cards that sit at the side of the board that you can go and visit if you want to utilize those items but uh yeah, it was important to strip all of that back and, um, yeah, make the game flow um, and simplify things. So, you know, just not having too many concepts flying around all at once. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I've given, like, the briefest, briefest kind of version of kind of how the game plays. Do you want to give us a kind of a rundown of what you what you would do on, on a turn, Gavin? Sure, just, okay. Just to kind of... To let people kind of make people aware of it, because I, um, I again, I, I kind of really liked, <laughs> I really liked the simplicity of what was available, but again, you know, if you if you let everybody know, kind of, of how you would play a round, basically. Yeah. So, a round basically uh, takes place in three phases. Now, uh, in your hand, you will have your three diners. And you will have one sneeze. Now, the sneeze doesn't always get used, so it's sort of an accessory that can be used occasionally if you want to reserve food items. But your three diners are the the workers that you're going to use. Now, the first phase is called placement, which means in turn order, each player is going to go around the table and they're going to place one of their workers or diners at an action spot on the restaurant floor. This could be at the ice cream machine. It could be at the dessert bar, the salad bar. Uh, You could go to the claw machine. You can go to the main buffet. You might go to reception to make a complaint. Um, Or you may go to the lost and found to grab an item there. When everybody has done that, that means all, if in a four-player game, all 12 diners will be out doing something in the restaurant. At the end of that phase, yeah. you have management phase, which is the second phase, which is basically the management deck, the uh, card on top will flip and that action will resolve. The management might come and give you bread. They might uh, make you eat bread. They may clean up parts of the restaurant um, or there may be a food fight yes. or something like that. So that action resolves. And then after that, it's time to activate. So once again, in turn order, players take it in turns to bring all of their diners back with the items that they've collected or the items that they need to action. Yeah. yeah. And the way it works is that the order in which you put your diners out is not the order in which you bring them back in. So you can make immediate tactical changes based on what other players are doing to either mitigate the effects of what they're doing or take advantage of, of what another player might be doing. So, 
Um, yeah, a lot of attention needs to be given to what other people are doing, what you think they might be trying to create on their uh, table and belly uh, in order to um, basically take advantage of you know of any any of their actions that that uh, bring about a fortuitous situation for you, you need to kind of keep on top mm-hmm. of that. Yeah, so that's that's basically around. So that keeps going until somebody fills all of the sections of their belly, and that then triggers yes. the end game. So um, yeah, the person yeah. with the most value for money will be termed the winner because what you've got for the value for money is that's based on you will decide at the beginning you'll draw like a set menus and what happens is menus give you value for money points based on combinations so you might have like say like a surf and turf menu so that would be you know some meat um, plus the prawns and then you would get so many for that and that's the idea of why you fill up your belly in kind of certain order because if you get that right that helps with the the scoring that you get as well the sneezing mechanic is absolutely disgusting it is but also (laughs) incredibly funny um and that basically allows you to prevent other people from basically picking up an item of food so it's like a tactical type of thing that they can do um was that was that an early addition did you have that in from the beginning or was that something you brought in to say well how do we stop people from you know how do we stop people from just going ahead and picking everything up that they need kind of thing uh yeah look that was um yeah that was quite early um so basically yeah it's like a little reserve token so you can place it on a uh, dish out on the restaurant floor and nobody else may touch that dish because it's got your sneeze on it. Um, The risk behind that is that management may come and clean it up. So uh, the longer you leave it out there, the higher the risk of it getting removed. So you have to go and then um, uh, retrieve the dish and take it back to your table and, and eat it. So, yeah, but that was, yeah, it was quite an early concept that, um, you know, somehow came floating through my brain and manifested itself in that way as these things do. I can just imagine that. How are you going to stop people from stealing it? It's like, well, I don't know, you block them or you can sneeze in them. (laughs) And then it's like, you got to ask the question, has Gavin potentially deliberately (laughs) sneezed on somebody else's food in order to take it away from them? I mean, it's... I have questions, queries and posers about that kind of situation. Um, (laughs) The other thing that you also have is you've also got the spillages as well. Yes, there are spills. Um, And again, and again, they kind of, they're there to kind of take up spaces as well. Just, you know, almost kind of prevents people from jumping into spaces too. That's right. Um, Yeah. The restaurant becomes progressively messier as the rounds go on. So um, spills can be triggered by things like food fights or there are a couple of lost and found cards that trigger spills and basically people will place a spill mm-hmm. in an area that they want to block off. And then you mm-hmm. can't really get there unless you use items from the lost and found, such as the non-slip shoes. They will allow you to step onto a spill and take the item that you are looking mm-hmm. for. What's... Um- What's the feedback been like in terms of playtesting and how easy is it to kind of get 
get the game play tested. Was um, it, you know, have you, have you, have you, have you been kind of like having it go around different groups in the local area to get people kind of looking at it and play testing it and stuff like that? Yeah, we have done a lot of that. Um, so playtesting has taken place over well, 18 months or so. It's, you know, it hasn't mm-hmm. really been playtested in the last six to 12 months because it's it's a finished game. It's ready to go. Um, so uh, I personally, I run a little games testing night um, that operates, well, infrequently, but when it's required, you know, I've got, a bunch of people mm-hmm. who enjoy playing prototype games. Um, we mm-hmm. go to a conventions that occur around the place and people are always happy to sit down and, and play. And then there are, you know, some games groups, etc., that we might go along to and get people to try out the game if, you know, if they so want to. And yeah, look, the feedback mm-hmm. has always been uh, really, really good. It's uh, people are often attracted to the colour palette of Scofton. They see it on the table and they think, oh, what's that? And, um, uh, you know, a lot of people find it quite charming and a slightly unusual take on, on board game design. So that's kind of the... It's it's a little bit quirky, I suppose, and some people really respond yeah. to that quite well. And, and they get the joke immediately. They see the, the art's a little bit shonky. They can see that yeah. the, they can see that the restaurant itself must be a little bit shonky, and and the whole thing kind of works thematically. So um, that 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 level of feedback has been really good. That the one thing I was surprised about when we ran a Kickstarter for Scofton late last year, um, some of the feedback we got from that was, you know, that uh, it, it seemed to me to indicate that there were a bunch of people out there who really they didn't like humor in board games or they didn't appreciate humor in board games. And and that was quite puzzling to me. I I thought it was very odd that, you know, there were people quite earnestly asking, you know, why, why is the art so crappy? And, um, you know, people that just didn't seem to really be able to put it together that, you know, that the whole thing was a bit quirky and a, bit of a funny take on on an all-you-can-eat mm-hmm. restaurant. So, yeah, that, I found that kind of puzzling because I think there's a lot of room for humour in board yeah, games. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> yeah, it was kind of strange because I was speaking to um, um, Ian McAllister the from The Giant Brain. Oh, yes, who, yes. He did, a, he, he did a write-up he on it. He did indeed. And I just said, you know, I was – yeah, and he, you know, he got it kind of straight away. And I was, you know, because I, I – uh, I asked him how he found it after he was like, "Yeah, I mean, you know, it was a it was a quirky, very simple to play, easily accessible kind of worker placement game that didn't overstay its welcome." And he says, "You know, I didn't find anything kind of offensive." He says, "And I loved the kind of the the theme." Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what I I think that's what the what I got. Yeah, I think uh, humor's a funny thing in games. Yeah, I think yeah. it's like if it's if it's kind of like maybe being produced by the people that are playing it, I think people are okay with that. I think if it's something where you try to f- almost like where it's not in your face yeah. and it's kind of like, like a subtle, subtle humour, because it's a because pe- it, the way I saw Scofton was I have been in this type of boofy situation, so that's why I find it amusing, kind of thing. You know, that's why I got it. 
because I've I've been I've been there basically. I think was what was why I kind of like liked the look of it and like and liked how it looked. You know. Yeah, everyone has. Yeah, well, when I say humor, I'm I'm not talking Cards Against Humanity humor. I'm I'm talking a little, yeah, little something yeah. a little more subtle. Um, but yeah, you, when you bring up Ian yeah. uh, McAllister, uh, he was great. His uh, little game group were great because he did say to me up front, we don't really like worker placement games. That's not really our bag. We don't really um, yeah. play too many of them. And I sent him Scofton and the response was great. So, yeah, that was, you know, that was a little win for us. Um, might I add, I believe you two have the only two copies of Scofton that would be in Scotland. So We do. I have the, I have the other one and... Um, the presentation, because you've 3D printed most, if not all, of the materials, including the kind of the little board in the box. So I've been I've been playing about with it, um, and yeah, I mean it's it's been um, the, there's an awful lot of work that's gone into the components. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, you know, and it's a ready, ready kind of game. It's a ready, ready game to kind of go. Basically, yeah, it was uh, very important for me to be able to present a prototype that was going to be very, very close to the vision of what the final game would look like. So, we embarked on a um, arduous task of creating thirty sets of the of what became the Scofton prototype, uh, and. I can honestly say I'll never do that again um, because it was about two and a half thousand little tiny square tokens to cut out by hand. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Lots and lots and lots of work. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the the result was great. Like the game, you know, people would pick the game up and, and it looks like a finished game. So that w- it was worthwhile. It was, uh, it was mm-hmm. just a very, very big job. So, yeah, uh, I've got about three of them left. Still deciding where they're to mm-hmm. go to. <laughs> so, um, what's it been like in terms of the marketing? I mean, with you being kind of where you are, I'm guessing that you getting to kind of getting to the states for any of the conventions there, or getting across to Europe or the UK is just you know it's not going to happen unless you're six numbers coming up on the lottery. Yeah, I guess. Absolutely. But, yeah. Um, let's- has it been a different? Has it been a different approach with the marketing for yourself then? Yeah, well, obviously it's a more it's a more low key approach. We don't have big games conventions happening all the time the way that the mm-hmm. United States mm-hmm. does. Um, the UK maybe not so much, but you know, definitely more. I mean, we have a few conventions. We have we are launching Scofton next Friday in conjunction with PAX. So PAX uh, has an event in Melbourne every year, and yes. that's yes. that's a huge. Yeah. Huge convention. Uh, we attended, you know, we've been there the last few years. Last year was really great for us. We were part of what's called the Tabletop Game Designers Australia booth, um, which meant we had little a little area to be able to set Scofton up and attract people into the booth and talk about it and get people excited. And we found that, yeah, people people noticed the game. They, they were quite into checking it out. And uh, that was... That was really good for us. So we are hoping to replicate that again this year. How much is a all you can eat buffy ticket going to be then? What's the, going to be the price on the on the kind of the Kickstarter? Ah, uh, okay. Um, Scofton is it's forty eight dollars Australian. So um, I can't quite do the conversion on that right now for price in pounds. Um, 
let's do a live one. <laughs> let's see. Let's actually, you know, coming live and direct. Let's do a currencies direct. Currency conversion. Check. Check. I do know that. Here we go. The, I do know that the game shipped to the US is about forty US dollars. All right. Okay. It's twenty six pounds. Twenty six pounds. Okay. And how does that stack up with? tabletop games in the uk that's like that's just that's ridiculously <laughs> inexpensive okay yeah i i see uh, that is ridiculously inexpensive because i've seen what's in the box and you get lots and lots of components i've seen games with far less components being more money than that okay okay so um, well, that's but again thing, that's right? just the ex- that's just the exchange rate on today. We'll see how it goes next week, shall we? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. We might need to have a chat off podcast about conversion rates. <laughs> <laughs> we may do. I, um, yes, look. Yeah, so that's good. So, cool. Yeah, so I've, 48, I've spent... 48 Australian dollars. Yeah. yeah, 48 Australian dollars. I've spent much time with spreadsheets trying to work all of this out to try to make sure that everyone has a reasonable level of happiness about... The price of Scofton. Um, yeah. We did have to have a two dollar price rise from on last year's Kickstarter just because of the uh, exchange rates have changed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. We yeah. put a bit more money into the artwork, so you know we we just uh, had to make a bit of an adjustment there. But um, yeah, we still think it's you know it's quite reasonable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, it is. And is that going to be, I take it shipping's going to be charged after the campaign then? Is that what you're thinking about doing? No, no, shipping will be charged uh, during the campaign. I'm not a big fan of uh, going back to people and asking them for money later on after they've made a purchase. And, you know, I, I, just, right. Don't, right, okay. I just don't think okay. it's a good system. Uh, you know, okay. you get that email six months afterwards with someone saying, oh, can you give us some more money to ship your game? And <laughs> yeah, yeah. you kind of like, yeah. oh, what can game even is that? So, mm. Yeah, I, I like I to get it out of the I way. If people are interested in finding out more about yourselves, about the game, where can we find you on the interweb nets, mm-hmm. Gavin? Well, um, one point of contact is vamooseco.com. That is V-A-M-O-O-S-E-C-O.com. That's the main Vamusco website. Uh, you can also look Scofton up on places like Board Game Geek. Um, you can find me on Twitter at the underscore prototyper. Um, and you can find Marcus on Twitter and he is at spudhole. That's Marcus's handle. Um, I'm not going to ask. Yeah. And you know, various other, there's, there's a Scofton little Scofton YouTube channel, uh, which has a little bit of material on it. We'll be releasing a bit more video content over the next week or so. Um, mm-hmm. there's a great, uh, playthrough video about to go up, um, which has a full game of Scofton played through it. Um, there was it, um, somebody else did one quite last couple of months. Was that, is it Meeple University? Uh, Meeple University. Yes. Yeah, so Meeple University. There's, there's a few videos from Meeple University up. They, um, they live in the same city as us. So they are friends of ours and we oh, uh, right, okay. have had them 
create a few videos, which they have a how to play. Um, they have oh, a couple cool. of interviews and things like that. They're always hanging around conventions and stuff. We bump into them all the time. Oh, good. Oh, good. Um, and we also have up our sleeves the Scofton Jingle. So we have created a TV-style commercial <laughs> that advertises the restaurant. And that is about to be available um and that obviously makes up a a fair bit of the uh kickstarter video component so we're really looking forward to uh, launching that and um unleashing that on the world i'm i'm not too sure how many other board games have jingles i mean there's a few out there but uh (laughs) this this is something we have worked very hard on and and um we're looking forward to seeing uh the effects that it has I'm sure it'll be fantastic. And we will make sure that we put all of the links in the show notes yes, sure. so that we've got notes to show. And we'll also we'll make sure that we put um <clears throat> we'll put a link to um Ian's um preview review. Oh great, yep. Um in there as well, just so everybody can kinda check our check their uh, check his thoughts on it. Um as I say, I've played it a couple of times. I I've found it very enjoyable indeed, basically, to be honest. Oh, good. You know, oh, hand you. of my heart and stuff like that. Excellent. I appreciate um, it. And I can only, you know, I can only wish you the best of luck for kind of when it launches um, kind of next week again. Um, if you want to keep an eye on what we are up to, it's quite simple. Go to the internet webs and search for We Are Not Wizards and you'll find us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And we've got our blog which is wearenotwizards.blogspot.com and we've got our normal website and you can pick us up in all the podcast catchers of choice that are either using the word pod or the word cast or using neither, like Player FM. Or you can go to Apple Podcasts and you can drop us a, you can drop us a subscription, you can drop us a rating, you can drop us a review, um, you can tell people about us, which is always really, really helpful. Um, if you've listened along tonight and you you um, you like what you've heard, tell somebody else. That would be fantastic. Even if you don't like them, you know, just tell them anyway. Scream it at bus stops. That'd be fantastic. Um, as I say, if you are, if you uh, do like what you hear, give us consider give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. As we say as normal, don't give us ten stars because it makes us big headed. But don't give us one star because it makes us cry into our soup give us something in the middle like a five because it's average and just like an all you eat can eat buffet we're just a little bit average but the person who's not been average today is rather wonderful they're rather fantastic he's a man who's an early riser who's going to go off and get himself a bacon sandwich somewhere it's the wonderful the fantastic Mr Gavin Vance Thank you, sir, for coming on. Oh, thank you very much for having me, Richard. It's been very enjoyable. And um, I look forward to uh, hearing all about this. And, uh, yeah, thank you very much for having me all the way over there in Scotland. You're, You're very, very welcome indeed. There is only two more things to do. The first thing is to remember there were many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Gavin? I am most definitely not a wizard, in fact. That is... That's quite a solid fact. Yep. Superb. Um, and the other thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from Gavin. Say goodbye, Gavin. 
goodbye, everybody. Thank you for having me. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe, roll sixes, make something awful, and um, check out Scofton. You know, treat yourself. You want that donut. You want that ice cream. You want to use that claw machine. You want to see what happens when you sneeze on somebody else's food. But until the next time, goodbye. A wizard is never late. Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. (laughs) 